Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. So glad you chose to worship with us today. And may your local football team bird win today. My football team, also known by a bird, has been done for weeks, and so I live vicariously through you. I'm also thankful for a three o'clock start time today so that at least a few people came to church happy without the results one way or the other, but uh, those of you that are going today, stay warm and safe and post your photos with Taylor later on, right? Those of you who don't know, just don't worry about it. It'll be all right. (laughs) A few things I just want to mention real briefly. kind of family things coming up over the next few weeks I want to let you know about. Um, one is that we've just completed our first seven of 21 days of prayer and fasting that we're participating in together. So those of you that you've made it a week, you've got two more weeks to go, I hope you're still feeling strong. Whatever it is you've chosen to set aside from your normal diet as a way to just surrender and submit that desire to the Lord. And I'm sorry that you had to hear about Taco Bell and cheeseburgers this morning. Some of us can't have those right now. Um, But uh, just want to encourage you, keep going. The Lord's got you. You can do this. Um, Those of you who may be like, man, I started off really well and I fell off the wagon. It's okay. Get back on and finish out the next two weeks. It'll be all right. Um, Maybe you haven't joined in in this season of prayer and fasting. And, uh, you know, why don't you just hop in and enjoy the last two weeks with us? Just ask the Lord, Lord, what is something out of my diet that I can trust you to set aside Um, Whether it's something out of your diet, maybe it's a a particular meal each day, maybe it's one day over the course of the week. There's lots of different ways that you can participate in a partial fast. Um, It's just a way for us to set something aside in order to hear God more clearly and just trust him and his lordship and his sustaining power. I will tell you, I have, and I wish I could tell the stories this morning, but they're not my stories to tell. Um, Some of the most incredible breakthroughs I've ever seen God do in my 26 years of being a pastor I've seen in the last seven days, and uh, man, I, I'm kind of wrecked. I wasn't expecting, in fact, I got to hug a couple people I've been praying for, one of whom I had never met for the last 12 months. It just, God came through in one of the most diabolical, the most diabolical situation I have ever seen, the most unmitigated evil ever perpetrated against people that I've seen firsthand in my life. There was no hope outside for God, and God just intervened this last week and is reversing that whole thing. Um, There's a whole story behind it. It's not my story to tell, and the story's not finished, but there's a chapter that's closed, and there's a page that's turning, and I'm just thankful for the goodness of God. Um, And so just want to encourage you, if you'd like to participate in that with us, let's let's continue these next 14 days together. Secondly, shifting gears a little bit, um, I just want to share with you, some of you may know this already, but we were a family, want to make sure everybody knows, Linda Hartman, affectionately known to me as the chief, the Lord has spoken to her heart that this is her time to retire. And so I know, I felt, when she, I, I wish, I don't ever try and talk Linda out of anything. I really wanted to. But at the same time, I recognize the Lord has spoken to her, and she said yes to the Lord. She has served this church faithfully for over a decade. She has been in every part of this ministry, and she is completely irreplaceable. There's exactly one Linda Hartman, and God loved this church enough to trust her to us. 
and us to her leadership. And so she will be relocating to Boston to be with her family and to be with her grandchildren and just senses the Lord's pleasure in this, and we do too, and we want to make this as seamless and smooth. If you know Linda at all, even me saying this publicly makes her very uncomfortable, and I understand that she is not one who wants attention or a fuss to be made about her, and I honor and I, I appreciate that. At the same time, um, maybe the only time in my life I will pull rank on Linda is that we are going to take a day and honor her on a Sunday and just express our appreciation to her, not in a way to make her feel uncomfortable, but we love her, and we want to honor and, and say thank you to her. And so um, that day I will let you know where there's a few moving parts here with her timetable and transitioning. That's a lot of transition for her in a short period of time, and it's a bittersweet season for her but the Lord is in it, and we trust that. And so probably late March, early April, we'll have a Sunday to honor her. But I just want to let you know so that you can make every opportunity to just give her a hug and you know, write down or just share with her your appreciation for her service to you and to this faith community. And so um, that's probably as much comfort as she has with me saying that. So I'll move on to one other thing. Just to put on your calendars two Sundays from today. Not next Sunday, but the following Sunday will be our first friend and family day of 2024. Now, please understand, friends and family are always welcome here at Echo. It's not like you, you need to be outsiders except for two times a year, and then you can come in and we give you coupon. We don't have anything to sell. But we, want, we plan a couple times through the year to do friend and family days to make it really as easy as possible for you to invite somebody to come along with you. Now, some churches say bring people, and I'm not trying to shoot that down. Um, that's awesome. But for me, the bringing people involves two people's compliance, unless you take them here hostily, and we would encourage you not to do that. We're called to invite. And people can say yes or say no to that. So um, the way we structure those Sundays is it's not, a, it's not a full Bible study like I usually teach. What we do is we invite two people from our faith community to just share their story of coming to know Jesus that day. So in two weeks, we'll hear the story from Zach Carhart and from Megan Jones. They have perfectly accepted our invitation to share. To be honest, I don't know either of their full stories because all of our stories mean something. We don't need to screen this out. All of us have a story to tell. And so Zach and Megan are going to share their story of how they came to faith in Jesus and what that's meant in their lives. And we're going to give people a simple opportunity to respond to the gospel message that morning. So you just... All I ask is that you be open to inviting somebody, somebody you already know, maybe somebody that you used to know and could reconnect with, or somebody you haven't even met yet that God will bring into your path. You can invite them any Sunday, but that's going to be a special Sunday for friends and family. So uh, keep that in mind. And with that in mind, let's get into the text this morning. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, is going to be where we go for our last message in our series, Branch Out. What we've been doing in this series, it's we've started looking about what branching out looks like for me personally as a follower of Jesus. And where we're going to land today is what that might look like for us as a faith community to branch out. And the way we've done that is we've tried to explore what the Bible teaches us through trees. And uh, we, we, we started you know, the first two weeks looking very closely at trees and branches and those passages and how they describe, they help us understand what healthy Christian living is like, what a healthy relationship with Jesus looks like, what we should expect about how we grow and change as Christians. Last week, we looked into a story of Jesus. This week, we're going to look at a story of Jesus about a guy out on a limb when he met Zacchaeus and what that looked like. Today, this story doesn't necessarily include a tree but it absolutely uses language about reaching out, branching out. And so I think this is a very personal way for us to look at what it means to branch out like Jesus did 
and also at the same time to identify with the person in this story who Jesus branched out to. It's found in two Gospels. It's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. It's also recorded in Matthew, chapter 8. I selected Matthew, chapter 8, because if you've been with us for a little bit of time, we spent a lot of time on Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the, sermon on the Mount. We went through that entire sermon slowly. And if you're like me, you wonder, well, what happened next? Like, when Jesus must have been exhausted after that sermon, maybe he went and, you know, maybe he went and took a nap or got a meal. This story literally picks up, Matthew says, after he finished the sermon and he's walking down the mountainside, this is where the story happens. He's walking down the mountainside, and there is a potentially fatal encounter between Jesus and a stranger that kind of comes in out of left field. There's gasps in the crowd. It's, it, it's a very tense situation. And Matthew records what happens here. So we're going to read the text, and we're going to try and answer the question, what does it mean to reach out the way Jesus reached out? Let me read the story to us. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, he asked Jesus to do two things. And I want you to see, sometimes we lump these two things together, but both Jesus and this man see them as two separate things. He says, you can, what's the first thing? You can heal me. You can make me physically well. But he also asked for something in addition to that. And you can make me clean. He differentiates between healing and cleansing. And all I want to plant in your mind right now is that healing means to deal with the disease, the physical impact of leprosy on his body. But he recognized there was a multi-dimensional impact that that leprosy had on his life. And even if the rash went away, he lived in social isolation He lived in shame. There were social stigmas attached to him. He had no job or means of employment. He couldn't go to the synagogue and worship. The only thing that would help him is if he could also be pronounced cleansed through and through and through. And so he said, Jesus, I know you can heal me, but I also need to be cleansed. It's not, I'm not just broken physically. My whole life, leprosy has stained my whole life. And I need my life back. I'll keep reading. Number three. And this is where my eyes went to weeks ago when I was looking at this sermon. I was thinking about our vision. Very, very, very simple. Was it a Diana Ross? Reach out and touch. Was that? Was it her? Reach out and touch. Okay, you need to get into some better music back in the day. <laughs> Jesus reached out and touched him. If you were in ancient times, that would startle you and offend you. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses, it's in Leviticus 14, for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have also been cleansed. So I'm trying to answer the question, how did Jesus respond to the leper's appeal for healing and cleansing? What did that mean in that story? 
What did that mean to the people who saw it first? And now a couple thousand years later as we read this, what does this story tell me about me and how I can identify with the leper? What does this story tell me about me and how I as a follower of Jesus should echo how Jesus responded? And if I were a traveling companion of Jesus, if I were somebody in the crowd, what does it tell me about them? Um, Here's the big idea. Here's my short answer to this question. Jesus reached out to touch people on society's margins. Yes, to restore their body, but he was also interested in restoring their soul, which is your heart, your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions about yourself, about God and about others, your relationships, your soul, and their spirit. Jesus was interested in multi-dimensional salvation. Not just to save you from death, but to help restore the way you think and you feel and you live and you relate, to bring you into a new community, to appreciate healthy and holistic relationship again. And if that's what Jesus was about, we should be about it too. So uh, how did Jesus respond? Um, How did he respond to the leper's appeal for cleansing? How many of you have heard anything at all about leprosy if you've been through the Bible before? Have any of you heard anything about leprosy and lepers? A few of you? I'm not saying leopard. I said it three times in the first service. I talk about Jesus healing the leopards. That's not what I mean. I mean lepers. Um, It was in ancient Bible times a debilitating and deadly disease. It was not just a disease. It was a condition, right? There was no cure for leprosy until 1981, and we don't really talk about it much today, even though the, the World Health Organization would tell us there's still over 600,000 cases of leprosy still in the world today. Um, 6,500 cases of, now they call it by different names. Leprosy was a parent name. Those of you that know a lot more about medicine than me will say, well, there's five or six different versions. There are, the Bible often uses leprosy as a parent term to describe a disorder that started as a skin disorder. I didn't share this in the first service because I frankly forgot. Crazy thing about leprosy was that from the time you were exposed, it could take up to four to eight years for you to even demonstrate any symptoms. And it would start as a skin rash. And what it would do was that uh, that skin rash would eventually spread into the nervous system and that nervous system would carry those bacteria throughout the entire body and it would eventually make their way to the bone and it would actually twist, bend, and disfigure the bones would turn hands into claws, and it ultimately resulted in death, but it was not a quick death. It was a slow, deliberate, isolating, painful, but certain death. And at the first sign of these rashes, you would have to present yourself to the priest, as it says in Leviticus 14. They would examine you. There's a whole protocol for how they'd examine you, how long that they'd wait. And if a priest diagnosed you with leprosy, you were immediately banished from society. You were a social pariah. You were banished to a leper community. You could not touch anyone, and no one could touch you. In fact, you had to announce yourself. If you came within, let me give you the exact data here. If you came within six feet of someone who was not affected with leprosy, you had to identify yourself by covering your top lip and shouting, unclean, 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 so that everybody within earshot knew to scatter from you. 
Could you imagine that thing that you're most insecure about, that condition that you deal with, maybe a sinful condition you deal with, something you're ashamed of, some besetting sin or some habit you're trying to break, something about yourself that you're afflicted with, you're already insecure about, you already feel isolated from. What if you had to verbally announce that whenever you came close to people? Do you understand the psychological and emotional distress? Some of you know there have been things you've been labeled as, true or untrue, that because that label's been stuck to you, you're kept at arm's length from society. You're kept at arm's length from relationships. And yet, in this story, we see that Jesus was willing to bridge the gap between the person on the social margins and relationship. So yeah, if you were within six feet, however, if it was a windy day and the wind was blowing towards a person from a leper, they had to keep 150 feet away. Jewish social codes included a punishment if the leper got too close to you, and it also included a punishment for you if you got too close to them. There was a social convention that said, you know, we're going to penalize the leper from getting close to the clean people, but we're also going to penalize the clean people for getting too close to leper people because we don't want leprosy to spread among us. This is the reality of the life of a leper. It, wasn't, it didn't just take from them their physical health. It isolated them from relationship. It isolated them from community, from employment, from family. These people didn't know what it was like to have a hug. Doctors tell us children, a baby cannot survive without human contact, and yet this is what was sentenced to the lepers and the way that our justice system within our criminal justice system, the way we try and crack even the most hardened of criminals is we, do, we place them in solitary confinement. It breaks down the human soul, and that is the life of a leper. So a leper comes within a few feet of Jesus. He would have had to announce himself. You can imagine the people around there getting ready to scatter. And there's this confrontation. Now the leper announces himself and he gets close to Jesus, but not too close. And he makes an appeal. How did Jesus respond? Four simple ways. These are simple. These are not rocket science. There's four things Jesus does here that I believe are instructive for us. Now, odds are you and I may never come in proximity of someone with an infectious skin disease like leprosy. But you and I are regularly within eyesight and earshot of people who carry needs in their lives. Sometimes we know what they are, other times we don't because they keep them hidden. And those special unique needs that they have keep them at the margin of society. It's messing with their relationships. They feel unsupported, unknown, misunderstood, Excluded, hopeless, frustrated, disenfranchised. And when they come in our orbit, we have an opportunity to do what Jesus did. Here's the four things, and I'll unpack them just briefly. He reached out. He touched him. He cleansed him. He restored him. He reached out, verse 3. He touched him, verse 3. He cleansed him, verse 4. Restored him, verse 4. Let's look at these briefly. How did he respond? Leper came as close to Jesus as he dared, but the leper doesn't touch Jesus, does he? Yes or no? No. He approached Jesus, but the law said he could only get within six feet if it wasn't a windy day. Now, six feet isn't far. You know, that's here to this microphone. That's not far. But the leper didn't go any closer. And he had a confidence and a faith, and I wish I could unpack this part of the story day. I can't. 
There's a whole lesson in the conversation where he says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can. And Jesus says, I am willing. I recognize there's more here, but I have to move to really. But what Jesus did was there was a gap. That person got as close to Jesus as he felt like he could, but because of his condition, he knew I can't just force myself into Jesus's life. I can't bring that mess to him. So there is a gap. And what he needed is what Jesus did. Like the true vine Jesus did, Jesus closed the gap and he reached out. He branched out. That's how he brought the leper near. Like the true vine, he branched out. And as believers, as Christians, as disciples, here's what I see in this. We have to learn for God to train our eyes to see those people who exist on the margins of society who many times and many times through no fault of their own find themselves isolated, unsupported, looked down upon and forgotten about. Not only must we see them, we then need to surrender to compassion's desire to reach out rather than waiting for them to come to us and announce their need to us. It's the difference between what I call proactive compassion and reactive compassion. They're both necessary. They're both healthy. Proactive compassion is when you see the need before the need presents itself to you, and based on compassion, you get involved. Reactive compassion is when a need is dropped off at your doorstep and you're put into a decision, you have to say yes or no to that need. We're going to have experiences in all different elements of that, Both sides of that, we might be wired differently, but we have to learn how to work both of those muscles. I'll give you an example of how both of those operated in tandem. Some of you might have heard this story before, but it's 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 a it's a good story to illustrate this. Some of you know that my 11 year old and I we share a love for Major League Baseball, and one of the things that we are trying to do before he graduates high school is the two of us just traveling to all 30 Major League Baseball stadiums and seeing a game there. Now we're making good progress. We have to pick up the pace. COVID kind of threw a wrench in that. And we didn't realize how much more expensive it would get the farther away from our house you get. Uh, but we're having a great time doing this. A few years ago, we went to Cincinnati. And uh, he was five years old at the time, six years old at the time, five or six. And uh, went to Cincinnati. We stayed in a Verbo on the Kentucky side. Some of you that have been in that area know, you know, you can just walk across a bridge from Kentucky to Ohio and go to the ballpark. So we thought it was kind of cool. We stayed in a Verbo on Kentucky side, and then we'd walk the 25 minutes from our Verbo across the big bridge to the ballpark. So we kind of thought it was cool. Every night we're going to go to a different state and see a baseball game and then walk to a different state home. After the game the first night, we stayed for two nights. After the game the first night, it was dark, 10 o'clock-ish. And we get out of the stadium, and there's a lot of people. You know that environment. You get out of the stadium, and I've got a six-year-old with me. I've got him by the hand, and I'm scared of heights, and I have to walk over a bridge. Uh, so I'm focused on, let me get my son through this crowd without losing him. And I'm just thinking about, let's get to the bridge and let's not get pushed. I'm focused on the bridge. And, uh, as we're walking towards the bridge, I feel his hand pulling me in the opposite direction. And I'm just tugging him along. Like, you know, no, we're not going to go wandering. We've got, we got to get on the bridge and get home. He says, dad, 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 we need to help him. I said, help who? He said, the man over there that's asking us for help. I said, what man that's asking us for help? And he stops and he points to a homeless man who's sitting on one of the curbs asking people for help. Now, I'm in a dilemma now because I see the guy. And some of you have been exactly where I'm about to describe. And I risk you thinking less of me by inviting you into some of the things that go through my mind in these moments. But I just want to be transparent. Maybe some of you can relate to this. As soon as I see the guy, I'm now involved. My five-year-old sees this man, 
and he sees that he looks like he is in need, and compassion says, I gotta grab my dad's hand and stop my dad, and I need to I need to override where my dad wants to go because compassion says we need to help this guy. My five-year-old had no cash, no money, no food, but he knows I've got cash. And so he wants to volunteer me into this situation. The guy's not on our path. He wasn't within my eyesight. I hadn't budgeted time, and I hadn't budgeted funds. That was our food money for the next couple days. I hadn't budgeted it into seeing this guy. All these things are flashing through my mind in moments. And it was easy for me to just focus until my son's proactive compassion, God, Dad, I see a man over there that needs help, put it in front of me, and now I have to react to his compassion. Is this a legitimate need? Is it safe for us to go over there? What if people see me pull cash out of my pocket? What's the guy going to do with my money? All the different things. And I'm talking about in just a couple seconds. I see him. I look at my five-year-old. And without thinking it all the way through, I just let him tug me right over to the guy. And reached in my pocket, got some cash. I gave it to my son. My son gave it to him. Guy looked at my son and said, thank you. And my son, the whole way back to the Verbo, wanted to know, Dad, how would a person end up needing money? How did, how did he end up on the street? Why? So many questions. But I needed to be more like him in that moment. And I'll tell you, the next night when we came out of the stadium, my son, eagle eyes. He's looking anywhere for anybody. Like, Dad, I, I know you've got money in your pocket. Come on, we can get it. And we went around. He found everybody. Now when we go to these, one of his favorite things to do is he saves up his own money from doing chores. He puts it in his pocket. And when we go to a ballpark, he takes his own money. And he will stop at everybody along the way. And he'll, he'll help. Well, there's so much more. Yeah. Well, how do you know what they, I don't know what they, I don't know. I don't know. We don't have an interview. We don't have an application. We don't have a form. We can't help anybody that asks. But reaching out to people involves messiness sometimes, doesn't it? Proactive and reactive compassion. We need both. I would like to tell you that every time... There's an opportunity for compassion. It will come when you're ready, when you have extra free time, and when your budget can handle it, when you've got nothing else to do. That's not usually the way that it works. But what I see here is that Jesus did not expect the leper to barge into Jesus' life, to interrupt his day, and to force, to shake him down. Jesus said, there's a need in front of me that I've been made aware of. I will do the branching out, and I will reach out to him rather than waiting for him to close the rest of the distance to me. i got to continue on. He touched him. He touched him. Leper's sentence was not only a physical disease. A leper suffered deep psychological and emotional distress from the requirement for social isolation, relational segregation, and the shame of having to announce themselves whenever they were within earshot of healthy people. Some of you know what that's like. There's something in your life, something in your past, right or wrong, just or unfair, that gets attached to you and your name. And every time it has to get drawn out again, you are re-stigmatized and re-injured. And people tend to keep an arm's length 
from your life. Jesus got personally involved by making himself vulnerable to the leper's mess. He didn't have to touch people to heal them, did he? Can you think of other times when Jesus healed people without touching them? He healed people. He, did, he wasn't even in their physical presence. Remember, he says, listen, go home. She's going to be well. Jesus didn't have to touch people. wasn't a requirement. And yet, he recognizes that what this leper needs is not just for his sin to disappear. He needed to feel the hug of another human being again. He needed to be welcomed back into shoulder-to-shoulder relationship again. He needed someone to bridge the social gap between that leper's mess and his sanitary life. And the beautiful thing about the story is that when Jesus touched him, it says the leprosy disappeared and Jesus didn't become a leper. In the same way that Jesus touched my leprous, sinful heart. And his righteousness came to me and he didn't get sick. Same way. He touched him. He got physically involved. To branch out and touch people like Jesus did means, and I, I, I can't sugarcoat this. Here's what it means. It means a willingness to make yourself vulnerable, burdened, inconvenienced, and many times messy. 2006, 2007, we were living in Georgia, south of Atlanta. My wife, Kendra, um, is called by God to be an educator for children and students with special needs. She's always, she spent the first couple of years teaching grade-based things, but when given the opportunity to get more education and become a special education teacher, that's what she went after. That's what she has her master's degree. That's what she's worked on, the specialized licenses for. That's what she's done. She taught in the public school system in Georgia, taught special education in Jackson, Georgia. That's what she teaches now in Baltimore. She teaches at a Title I school. She teaches elementary special education. That's her heart. So the population she feels called to serve. And in 2006, she became um, the Special Olympics coordinator for her entire county in Georgia. And so she was responsible for coordinating the travel to and from the Special Olympics in Atlanta for all of the special needs students in that county who wanted to participate elementary through high school. Some of that was easy. There was grants to get transportation. There was grants to be able to pay for hotels and things like that. The hardest thing to do was to get male volunteers. There's plenty of people willing to stand at the finish line and hug the kids. Very few people who want to stay in the hotel rooms with the high school kids who needed, in her words, full care. And so she approached me. She said, Phil, what would you think about being one of the adult chaperones for five of my high school students who need full care? I said, what does full care mean? And she explained to me in very clear detail Everything you need to do for yourself over a 24-hour period of time, most of that these boys can't do for themselves. They can walk. You know, these boys could, with exception of one, you know, they can, they're, they're ambulatory. They can walk. But when it comes to their hygiene, bathing, using the restroom, keeping themselves clean and sanitary, getting clothes on and clothes off, they needed one-on-one support. And I met some of the young men, and four of them were bigger than me. And I would like to tell you, there was no hesitation in my mind. Can I invite you into the uncomfortable place of my mind? My heart said, this is something I should do, but I was nervous. I was scared. 
I was worried about getting dirty. I was worried even about, man, legally, am I putting myself in jeopardy? You know, like helping a child, you know, helping a young man take all his clothes off and getting a shower and getting out of the shower and seeing all of that and being physically involved in that. Like, am I making myself vulnerable to some type of charges? You know, all these different things are going through my mind. And, and yet I knew my heart wanted to do it. And so I said, absolutely, I will do it. And I want to tell you, I was scared. I was nervous. Um, I had to get a class. One of the boys had sleep seizures multiple times an evening. And so I needed to be aware of when his breathing patterns changed to be able to wake up and make sure he didn't suffocate in his sleep. And I'm thinking, this is the life of their parents every day of their life. It required me to be willing to make myself vulnerable socially, vulnerable legally, vulnerable physically. I'm just going to leave. I had to get messy. I'm just going to leave it at that. And yet, I don't know many experiences in my life where I have felt closer to Christ than I did over those 48 hours with those young men. It broke me. These were wonderful young men. Full of life, thankful, but in many ways kept outside the margins of society because of things through no fault of their own that was just part of the way that God made them to show his glory. And there were a lot of people willing to give money there were fewer people willing to get messy. And quite frankly, had it not been my wife that asked me, I know myself, I probably would have found a way out of it. Oh, that's a great idea, but I'm busy that weekend, or I'll make myself busy that weekend. <laughs> I don't want to look at it too close. I will tell you something about just being able to be involved in the physical touch to say, I, there's a compassion in my heart that comes from the Lord for you. There's an otherworldly compassion that I found for those boys that did not come from me. I believe it came from Christ in the same way we see here. He, he, has a, he has such a depth of a love for those young men. And the way that they would ever know what God was like was through other people saying, man, I'm, I'm willing to get shoulder to shoulder with you. This is not beneath me. And to be able to be involved in that. And it's created in my heart a special place and an understanding and empathy and a desire for students with special needs, for their siblings, for their families. I spent 48 hours experiencing what mom and dad would often, you know, what they lived with with no break. I could sign up for a weekend and then I could go home and take care of myself. And so it was nice to be able to give those parents some respite. Say, listen, why don't you come and cheer them on? We'll take care of them. We'll bring them there. You come and cheer them on. You guys sleep in a hotel room and get a good night's sleep. We'll take care of your, your students for that evening. That's what it means to touch people like Jesus said. I would like to tell you that you'll be able to afford every time someone asks you for help. That will always come in a time when you're ready to talk, when you have convenience. What do you think the Bible means when it says bear one another's burdens? You haven't done that until a burden falls on you. It won't, opportunities to show compassion will not always happen when it's convenient for you. It won't always happen at the end of a morning where you feel, feel especially evangelistic and you say, Lord, I just feel evangelistic today. Bring 10 people in front of my path. I'm ready for the gospel. It will happen when you're running late. It will happen when you've got another thing in mind. And you'll, God will allow you to see an opportunity to serve. 
to identify, to branch out, to touch, to make someone feel human again, to not look down, but to look across at somebody. This is Jesus' model for ministry. He was willing to risk the social stigma of touching a leper. Why? Because he reached out from a place of health, from a place of being right with his father. And so he wasn't worried that in touching the sinner, he was going to become like the sinner. And touching this one on the outside, he was going to bring that person. Every time you reach out to someone, it requires substitutionary sacrifice. What it requires is you saying, I'm willing to become uncomfortable to minister a little comfort to them. They're living in discomfort. Some of you know what this is like. It might not be an infectious skin disease. But there's a stigma you have about your life. You have a learning disability. You have a special need. You have some things in your past. You have habits and hurts and hang-ups you're trying to overcome. You're very well, and there's shame you live with. There's isolation you live with. Look, sin does this to us. That's the thing where I identify with the leper. I don't know what it's like to have an infectious skin disease outside of poison ivy, and that's pretty miserable. I don't know what it's like to have this, but I know this much. I have a leprosy in my life called sin, and it is a slow, painful, certain, debilitating, isolating death that symptoms don't always show up right away, but they do surely. And when I recognize it, I know there's no cure unless Jesus touches me. That's our story. And that's what he did. And if that's what he did, Who are we to say, Jesus, there's no space in our faith community to reach out and touch people where it might be a little messy. I don't really know that I have time for that. I don't really, listen, that's the ministry that Jesus had. That's what's changed my life is that Jesus reached out and touched my dirty life so that I can know what it was like to live again. I'll hurry to close. He cleansed him. He cleansed him. And I already taught this. Healing means to make him physically whole. And he asked for that. Jesus, I want my incurable disease to be cured, but I also want to be cleansed. I don't want to just be healthy and then live in isolation because you can make me healthy and whole and my body can have a, a clean bill of health, but there's other things in my life that this has taken from me that I want back to. I want to know what it's like to relate to people again. I want to know what it's like to think of myself healthy again. I want to know what it's like to to know that human touch and community and friendship. I want to be included in family meals. I want to know what it's like to worship around others. I I want to know what it's like to not be cast aside anymore. I need to be not just healed, but cleansed. And I'm thankful that Jesus shows us what we need is a multidimensional salvation. I'm thankful that the moment I experience salvation by God's grace through my faith, that moment, my spirit is made alive and new. That deals with essentially the rash. That says, I don't have to fear death anymore. My life is not a death sentence, it's a life sentence. And now I look forward to eternity of life together with Jesus. But here's what you and I both know. If you know Jesus, you also know that even after your spirit has been made new, you still have a broken, sinful way of thinking and feeling that constantly is at war with your spirit, right? My thinking about how I think about myself needs to be cleansed. How I think about God, how I think about others. Sin has taken that from me. But Jesus says he cares about restoring that part of us too. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I know sins of my choosing and my life have absolutely damaged relationships of people that I, with people that I love and I care about. And I need the cleansing of Jesus 
Lord, that I can be in right relationship with people again. And what Jesus does in this is he validates to us and he destigmatizes the idea that as Christians, it's okay for us to want to be mentally healthy too and emotionally healthy too. And I'm thankful that I live in a day and an age where within church, we don't just push people aside and say, listen, we'll lay hands on you for physical healing and we'll believe it to happen immediately. But, you, but your mental needs and your emotional needs, if they don't get better by prayer, there's something wrong with you. Don't you dare seek any other type of help or care for your mind or for your body. Would you tell a person with damaged kidneys to stop taking their kidney medicine? No. Your brain is an organ just like the rest of your organs of your body. God made it. Your brain is the only one that has to report itself if it thinks it's sick. Your brain is an organ that can get sick like the rest of you, but like the rest of you, Jesus can also heal that organ of your brain in the way that you think. This is why we've cast a vision to you about opening an Echo Community Care Center where we will be able to provide professional licensed counselors to be able to help serve the mental and emotional needs of this community and be able to have unapologetically using faith as one of the avenues we bring multidimensional healing into the lives of people around here. He cleansed them, and in so doing, he restored him. In cleansing the leper, here's what Jesus did. And he tells you, I have to summarize this because I'm out of time. Jesus supplied this man with all the resources he needs to return to full community. You know what he gave him? Here's what he gave him. An indisputable, inarguable, test, inarguable testimony of a completely transformed life whose evidence upon further examination would point to the only logical conclusion. God himself must have intervened. You know what God gives us? He gives us a testimony a true story of how our life has changed as a result of Jesus' touch. He said, go present yourself to the priest. The priest is gonna go back and see that he pronounced you, he diagnosed you with leprosy on whatever date, however many years ago, and the priest is, the priest is gonna look at you again and find no leprosy. And here's the interesting thing. Wish I had more time on this, I don't. You go back to Leviticus 14. In Leviticus 14, God gives Moses the laws that the priests were supposed to follow in the event that a former leper has been cured. They're supposed to go back to the priest, and the law says, if someone who used to be a leper has been cured, they will come to you. You do the following examination. There's a sacrifice. You can read all this in the, in the study guide. There's a sacrifice they should offer, offer you. You pronounce them clean. Now, here's the irony of the whole situation. I told you earlier, do you remember what year humankind finally found a cure for leprosy? 1981, do you think it's reasonable to assume that God knew full well way back in Leviticus 14 that no one would ever come to these priests with a cure? God knew that man would not have a cure for leprosy until the 80s. And yet, God prepared the priests with a protocol for those times God knew in advance he would intervene in someone's life and cause them to be cured. It's very likely that when this leper shows up to the priest, they're like, well, oh, man, we need to look up that passage again. No one's ever come and asked us to do that. 
and they could ask this man, well, you know, what salve did you use? What lotion did you use? Where did you? No, no cure. Uh, Jesus touched me. And in that way, leprosy explains to us how sin behaves in all of our lives. And our story is very much the same. We all inherited a sinful nature. And like leprosy, it is a slow, certain, debilitating, isolating, painful condition that will be ultimately fatal unless and until we receive an intervention, inter- intervention through the miraculous touch of God through Jesus Christ in our lives. And when he touches us, not only, not only does he restore life to us and give us eternal life, he gives us supplies to us, all of the resources we need to be completely emotionally and relationally restored to health again. That is the ministry that Jesus had and it's the ministry he has for us as well. I found uh, something that I want to show to you. Have any of you seen this miniseries, The Chosen? It's pretty powerful. And I just want to show you a short clip from one of their episodes about how the, the scholars and the directors imagined this interaction between Jesus and the leper took place. And then we'll come back out of that and I'll close the service. But can we go ahead and show that clip? It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 you cannot. It's disease. You. Please. Please. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you can do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. I knew it. What can I, 
What can I ever do? Do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor? Please just do me this one thing. Uh, but what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> Why does it move us like I shouldn't assume it moves all of us. It moves me every time I see it. I see myself as the leper. And I'm reminded of the song, the words from the song, Jesus Messiah that was lifted out of the old Testament. He became sin who knew no sin. So we could become his righteousness. And I see myself as at times the, the leper, not because of a skin disease, but because of my sin disease. And outside of Jesus's touch, there's no cure. But because of his touch, he gives me an opportunity to not just have life, but have life. And understand what real community is, real love is, real hope and purpose. And I also watch that and say, man, I want to be like Christ. That's the man I want to be like. I want to be that approachable, that brave, that courageous, that generous, that unafraid, that confident in my own place in Christ that I can, like Jesus, branch out to. Maybe not lepers, that's not the main issue here in our community, but I've asked the Lord, God, what are the people groups or the needs within the shadow of Echo Community Church and this community that we can branch out to as a congregation? that we can touch, that we can involve ourselves in, that we can, in spite of maybe the messiness or the risk or the inexactness or the unpredictability or even the cost, that we can create a legacy for health and hope and healing here in this community through this ministry. Over the last three weeks, I have shared with you in detail about our pursuit of, of opening an Echo Community Care Center to provide counselors and counseling and that is in process. There's a kind of a little bit of a long on-ramp for some of that. I don't, by long, I don't mean years and years and years, but there's some education and discovery exercises we're involved in right now. We formed focus groups. We're putting plans together. We're networking with others, and that is moving along, and I look forward to updating you on that. But right now, that's in the handful of a few people with some specialized information. The vision I want to share with you today is something that we all can embrace and we can move on quickly. And here is that vision. It is for, it's for students, elementary students, early childhood students, middle school students, high school students, specifically those students with identified special needs 
physical needs, behavioral needs, learning needs, that because of those needs, because of those diagnoses, because of those conditions and those realities, many of them and their families, when it comes to faith communities, feel unsupported, unwelcomed, disconnected from. And in my vision, our vision, is to become a church that is more welcoming and supportive and enthusiastic about serving the special needs community. And so it's going to look like a couple things. And these are things I want you to prayerfully consider along with me. Some of them are ongoing weekly expressions of how we want to grow our kids' ministry to be more supportive and welcoming of students with special needs. And some of them are uh, events that we're going to tackle a few times a year. Here's a couple things to consider. Uh, one of the things we're considering is uh, just inviting you to think about being a buddy, providing one-on-one support partnership, attention on a Sunday at 11 a.m. for a student with an identified special need. You know that my wife has, uh, you know, my wife's career is in special education. Our early childhood director, Lauren Hoffman, she is also a special educator. She's now moved into the private sector, has her own thriving, uh, has her own thriving uh, business on helping families with uh, kids with special needs, providing that support that they need above and beyond what the public schools can provide. And so I've leaned on them heaven to, heavily to ideate what this might look like. There's many other churches that have discovered this and do this, and we're learning from their experience. The two things we want to be able to do right away is, is raise up buddies so that families with special needs students can participate in our ministries here. Here's the reality. If you have a child with one of these special needs or more than one child, and some of you know this, this is your life. You're faced with the choice. You can't leave your child at home and while you come to church. But if they bring, you bring them with you to church, that church may or may not be prepared and equipped to provide the support that child needs. So you either need to go with your child and participate in the kids' ministry, or you need to keep the child with you in the adult ministry, and neither of those things end up working out. And what it does is there's this whole population of people who have children with special needs who may want to be involved in the faith community but don't have the support to do so. In fact, one of the... In one of the early conversations, Lauren sent me this when we were kicking this around. She said, many parents of kids with special needs feel isolated from church. I was just this morning speaking with one of my client's mom. She was telling me she really wants to start attending a church. She was sharing her hesitation as she's unsure of what to do with her severely autistic five-year-old. She was sharing she was afraid he wouldn't be welcomed or she wouldn't be able to stay in the service. Having buddies available would be such a blessing and so welcoming to so many. So I'm just asking you to consider if that might be something you'd be willing to serve in once a month to be a one-on-one buddy to a child with a special need, learning more about that. Something else that we're going to do is not a weekly, ongoing ministry, but something we're going to do a couple times a year. We're going to provide a Friday night respite care event. What respite care is simply is where we just say we want to provide support to the parents and the families who have children with special needs. And the way we want to do that is from six to nine on Friday night, we're going to have a a team of volunteers here. We're going to open up our whole building and have some thoughtful areas planned out and activities that are, you know, that are designed by our special educators. You can drop your, you register in advance. You can drop your kids here with us. We'll get them checked in, your special needs students and their siblings so that mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever's caring for the kids can just have a little downtime. They can just have a break and we can provide just 
an evening of fun and companionship and care for their students. I know that there are other churches in Maryland and some nationwide that have opened up their arms to this, and the response from the community has been huge. We can do this. I know one of the questions I was asked was, Pastor, how are we going to afford to do this? I was like, I don't know how to afford to do this, to be honest. Financially, I don't know. But I look at it this way. How can we afford not to do this? Um, yeah, I mean, I know, believe me, I, I see the finances. I know we're, our expenses are under budget, but our income is way under budget for this fiscal year. And I know it's not necessarily the best time, but you know, the reality is I just believe that money follows that kind of ministry. And the Lord will help us if this is his vision and he's got resourcing in mind and I trust him. I know this group of people, and I know our faith community, and I think we'll rise to the occasion because there's so many people that are outside of a faith community because that faith community, just simply not because they don't care, but they just don't know how to welcome in, to welcome in people who have kids who have special needs, and we just want to grow in that area. So we're looking for people who are willing to learn more about being a buddy. We're looking at people who might be willing to volunteer a couple Fridays a year, even just one Friday a year to help to help tackle one of these respite care events. And then the third thing that we're putting out an appeal for is we have a pretty strong uh, demand to begin providing some form of kids ministry at our nine o'clock service as well. And uh, we want to start by staffing our early childhood environments. We have nursery and we have programming environments for, for kids two and three. They're, uh, you know, in the nursery, they're not following some huge curriculum, but in, in the toddler's environments, we, follow, we, we purchase a video curriculum um, that the kids can go through together with some leadership there. And really the only reason that we're not able to offer that right now is simply we don't have the finances to be able to hire additional paid staff. And so what we need to do is just in a healthy way is putting the appeal out there and say we have plenty of families that would be able to attend service because 9 a.m. is what works for their family. But if we don't have ministry for their kids, it's just too difficult for them to have a kid on their lap and get something out of the service. We want to provide for that. I'm not outing anybody, but I know of, I know of four people who are pregnant right now and there's more babies coming. Okay, um, I'm just putting that out there. I don't, we don't have this model where we want to drain four people. We want to be able to take care of people. And so that means more volunteers for less rotations. But we can serve more people if we have some leadership who's willing to just onboard with us. We'll train you. We'll provide the curriculum, all the support. We've invested in these awesome environments for kids. Um, just be willing to serve these families. So um, here's how you can, this week and next week, and the ne well, this, this week and the next two weeks, I'm just casting this wide net. I understand this isn't for everybody in terms of volunteerism. I get it. But I'm asking for you to just consider this. Um, here's how you can tell us you're interested. You can scan the QR code that's there, and it'll bring you right into a simple digital form that you can just click any one or more of these options you're interested in learning about. Your clicking doesn't mean that you are signed in blood to have to do this until Jesus comes. It just means you're interested. Because quite candidly, we might get to know you a little bit better, and as we work through some of the background check things or we have some of these conversations, we might find out it's not the best fit for you. Maybe there's another better fit for you. But on the flip side, you might say, oh, Pastor, now that I've learned more about this, this might not be a fit. That's fine. We're just looking for interest. We will move at the pace and in the order that we have a response. I hope we have a strong response to all three of these things. But I'm casting vision to you and telling you I will not be deterred from this. This is where we're headed. Well, Pastor, if we have a whole bunch of kids with special needs, it could be messy. This Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what God's called us to. That's what God's called us to. We will be a church that is welcoming and supportive of kids and their families. And yes, we expect it to be a little bit messy in the name of Jesus. That's what he's called us to. So if you're interested in being a buddy or perhaps serving at one of our res respite care outreach events or 
serving in an early childhood ministry on Sundays at 9 a.m. That's an outlet for you. And if, if scanning QR codes is not your thing, it's okay on your way out today. You can grab one of these little forms. You can fill it out. You can drop it in the offering box. You'll hear a shortened version of this, a little three-minute version of this, each of the next two Sundays. Because around here, I usually have to say something three consecutive weeks till everybody's heard it once. But this is where we're going. Branching out is going to look like more than this, but this is something immediately in front of us. God has put it on my heart. I can't look away from it. I won't look away from it. We can't afford not to do it. And so we're going to do it. And we're going to move on this. And yes, we're going to open a counseling center. And yes, uh, there's something else we just planned for in October, another group that, that we're going to be reaching out to. But I'm going to save that for then. It's too much for one morning. But we've got a, we've got a big day planned in October where we're going we're gonna to get involved in rescuing hurting churches um, and have an outlet to be able to go after that too. But this is what I'm presenting to you today as our worship team comes. Just want to remind you where we've been today. And the reminder is that, like the leper, like the leper, every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth has been touched by the leprosy of sin. And unless God intervenes, we can't cure that ourselves. The good news is that God has and will cleanse the body, the soul, and the spirit of every sinful heart when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's my story. That's many of your stories. And I don't want to miss an opportunity today to give you a moment where you can say yes to Jesus's invitation to begin a saving relationship with him, to leave your life behind, for him to touch that part of your life and to make you clean. He became sin. He took sin on himself to take it off of you. And I love that giving of the new tunic. Even though that wasn't the story, that was a cool part of, the, of that movie because that's what Jesus does. He gives you, you leave your old life there and you take up a new life. That's what this is. Let me give you that moment right now. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Everybody that's in this room, everybody that's watching online, everybody that's listening on podcasts, here's my question. Has Jesus touched your heart and made you whole? Do you recognize that outside of a touch from Jesus, that we are on a slow, deliberate, certain, painful death and separation from Jesus for all of eternity? Are you at the point where you recognize you can't cure yourself, you can't fix that? Are you experiencing Jesus drawing you into a relationship with himself right now? I want to give you that opportunity right in this moment. All you need to do is believe and repent. You need to believe what, and I've needed to believe that I am a sinner, that I can't repair myself, that my sin deserves to be judged by God, and that he has already passed my sentence of death but he put it on Jesus and Jesus paid for my sentence so that I can have new life just by putting my faith and trust in him. And if that's what you know that you need, all you have to do is confess that to Jesus right now and turn away from living your own life, your old life, and pick up the new life of Christ. You just confess that to Jesus. You can do it in your words right now, right here. You can say a simple prayer, Jesus, I have sinned. It's who I am. It's what I do. I am sorry, and I recognize that I deserve punishment for my sin. But I also believe, and I know that Jesus has taken on 
my punishment and has satisfied that to you, God. And so today, all I, I put my faith in Jesus. I receive, I receive salvation. Please forgive me. I commit my life to you. I surrender to you because you're the Lord. Please come in and change me, cleanse me, heal me, body, soul, and spirit. Give me the strength to follow you day by day by day. In your name I pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.